Well, good morning, my brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It is so good to have our hybrid students here this week. I hope you've had a great stay. Yeah, let's, it's so good to have you here. I hope you have felt like you belong here and you've been a part of this community because it's true, Jessica's right, you do belong here. And every time you come, we're so happy to see you. I hope you've had a good stay over your last few days. Before we begin today, let me uh, just have a word of prayer with us. Lord, we are so grateful. We're grateful people as we enter into this time. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Lord, tune our ears, tune our hearts to hear what the Spirit has to say to us today. Transform us, for it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. What a good word we heard on servanthood yesterday, and I think his title was Servanthood and the Mind. And one of the points that he made was what we think in our minds is also what we should practice or what we should act on. So I started to change the name of the message to Servanthood in Action this morning. But based on yesterday, I thought I better stick with what I had. So Abraham Lincoln once said, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a person or a man's character, give him power. You know, power is not inherently good or bad in and of itself. It's the abuse of power. When someone uses their position to, to take unjust advantage of others, that power becomes a problem. I mean, we're witnessing that. We're right in the middle of that right now. So certainly scripture speaks of and to power. For example, we read things like, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a, a strong mind and discipline, right? We know the scripture tells us you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We say God is worthy of majesty, power, and dominion. We see the scripture tells us, he says, but my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. So we see that power in and of itself is not a bad thing because certainly the scripture talks about it. We know that the scripture tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And that's just to name a few. Certainly both the Old and the New Testament are full of scriptures around power. But the question I want us to think about in the few minutes that we have together today from this text is what do you do as leaders, as pastors, um, in organizations, in churches? What do you do? What do we do when we're the most powerful person in the room? What do we do? You know, there are times when people look at us and they think that we have titles and position of power. And the question I want us to think about as we think on this theme of servanthood is, what do we do 
when we're the most powerful person in the room? What do you do when we're viewed and perceived that we have authority or rights through position, title, or influence? You know, power in the wrong hands is just not pretty. It's disruptive, it creates chaos, it causes division, but when used properly, it can start a revolution. We see that in the book of Acts. The blind see, the lame walk. I wish I had a praying church. I remember my first trip to China. This is what power looks like in the wrong hands. Uh, Dr. Dan, I remember my first trip to China. I hadn't been to Dan's intercultural class yet. I didn't know anything about cross-cultural learning. And um, we get there. We have been making our printers there at Lexmark. And it's a huge group. And of course, you know, when you're there and you travel with entourage, and they have entourage, and it's hundreds of millions of dollars on the table, and we're having lunch. We're having a typical, traditional Chinese lunch, and when lunch was about over, they offered me the fish head. Now listen, people. <laughs> I had never even been in a place where there was a fish head on a plate. Not to mention that they thought I was going to eat those cheeks and eyes and all that stuff staring up at me. And I was like, no, nah, they've, they've made a mistake. And of course, in my rude American way, I refused. And they asked again, and I refused again, because I thought, I can just have this my way. I'm the highest ranking person. I'm the most powerful person in this room. And what a horrible message I left that day. And that was probably 30 years ago, and I'll never forget that lesson I learned. That when we're the most powerful person in the room, we've been given that place of authority and position, not to have it our way, but to serve others. What a mess I made that day. I just, I shudder to think what they must have thought when I left that room. But anyway... Let's get into our text this morning. John 13 begins with Jesus ending his earthly ministry, and he's beginning his journey to the cross. And we're all familiar with this. We find him with his disciples and washing his disciples' feet. But before we get to the foot washing, because we hear that a lot, I, I want to have us reflect a little bit on verse 1. I'll call it part B. It's interesting to me. He says, having loved his own, who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. Now, people, we know Jesus loved his disciples. He had been with them for three years. He ate with them. He slept with them. He traveled with them. He did ministry with them. They knew each other inside out. So why would John be reflecting on this? I mean, I'm, I'm moved by the fact that Jesus is on his way to the cross, and He's already said in the chapter before that his heart was troubled. But he wasn't thinking about himself in this text. His thoughts are toward his disciples, and I love that he loved them to the end. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them to the fullest degree. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. How can Jesus have more love for his disciples than he had? I mean, if it would have been me, I don't know about you, 
that had been me, I would have been reflecting on, Lord and mercy, I got to go to this cross. And I don't know what y'all going to do once I give up my life for it. Okay? I mean, here are these same boys that are going to meet him in the garden, and they're not going to stay awake with him. They're tired. They're too tired to stay awake with Jesus. But right here in this little piece of this text, I can feel the depth and the degree of this type of love, this divine love in the midst of sorrow. His heart was troubled. This deep, intense, tender, I wish I had the vocabulary, sweet divine love for them and towards them. In the middle of his sorrow, I wish y'all would hear me, he finds a place of human tenderness that is absolute love, perfect love, changeless love, divine love. Oh, I wish I had a praying church all pointed toward these sleeping disciples. I know none of us fit in that category. It's intense, it's extreme, and it's pointed towards us. Oh, how he loves us. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, had us on his mind. I don't know if that's encouragement for you today, but that's good encouragement for me. Because he loves us with the same sort of love that he loved these disciples. It's an everlasting love. Doesn't run out. Paul tells us that nothing can separate us from this love. Oh, my good days, I'm not separated. Oh, my bad days, I'm not separated. When I'm in a dry place, I'm not separated. When I'm not sure I can study anymore, I'm not separated. It's that kind of love. It's regardless of what transpires in your life and in my life, we're perfectly loved. It's not dependent on me. Hallelujah. I was supposed to bury that. It's not dependent on me. That's a good word for me. It's, it's not dependent on my behavior. Somebody ought to tell the Lord, thank you in here today. That the same God that called you can keep you. The most powerful person in the room is showing love towards his own. It's good news. Next in that text, this little piece of text, we hop to this washing feet thing. But there's another piece in this text that I love that just jumps out at me is Jesus knew who he was. We see John writing, he knew that the Father had put all things under his power or his authority and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Well, that probably explains this little act of humility that's getting ready to occur. See, I wonder if part of our issue as Christians, all of us, is that we have identity crisis. We forget who we are and we forget whose we are. We forget the one who's called us. We think we have to stay there. I'm talking to somebody in this room today. You think that your own power will keep you there. But it's by the power of Christ. It's by the work that he's already done. He says, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of power. What would you do with that? 
all power in heaven and earth is in your hands. I saw one writer, he put it this way, I loved it. With the full consciousness of his supreme power and divine origin and the divine glory to which he was about to return, he left the disciples an example of the self-denial, which is the necessary outcome of love. This is Jesus, who was from the beginning, was God, and was with God. This is the same Jesus that Paul writes about that says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? That Jesus. Same Jesus who's seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and I, still loving us. We're talking about this same Jesus. The same Jesus who held a towel in his right hand holds the seven stars in that same hand. Talking about that Jesus. That kind of power, the author and perfecter of our faith, he knew who he was, and he lived, and he served out of that place of identity. Do we all know Philippians 2? You guys are seminary students. You know the Bible. Jesus was the most powerful person in the room. You know, he spent time with his disciples on identity. I know I'm going to have to rush here. He, he spent time with them talking about who they were and how they would think about him, themselves. It went something like this. James and John, sons of thunder, they wanted to know where they were going to sit, right and the left, these positions of power. And we laugh about them, but, you know, the ten became angry. And what were they upset about? Okay? They were indignant that James and John got to him first. All right? I don't have time to do a lot with this today, but I love Jesus' answer, his teaching for them and for us. He says that you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Can you imagine being in that room? Jesus must have dropped the mic and said, you still want to sit on the left and the right? Y'all still want these places of power? I mean, that's an answer in your face to, to power. Ah, Jesus. That's kind of harsh. I mean, wonder what James and John must have felt like after they got an answer like that. But Jesus wanted them, and he wants us to know who our identity is, who we are, how he's positioned us, how he's placed us, and how he expects us to behave, to act what our action should be. You know, we're taught very early, you don't have to teach this, to push and shove our way ahead, right? We do that naturally. We live in a very success-oriented society, and better and bigger is better, right? And, and uh, the more money you have, the better. And we worry about the best seats, and being closer to the top is better, and we forget. Sometimes we forget 
that we're called to serve. And that identity crisis makes us hungry for power. Breaks my heart, breaks all of our hearts. We see it in the church. Well, here we go. When you see it in universities, and Dr. Long, sometimes you even see it in a seminary. Lord, have mercy on us. In fact, our attitude should be the same as it was in Christ. I don't think I've ever seen, you know, I might be one of the oldest people in this room. I don't think I've ever seen anybody raise their hand and say, choose me, I want to go back. He was God. He was, he didn't find equality with God something to be grabbed. He was ready to go backwards. When's the last time you've seen anybody say, I want to go backwards. I chose this call. I want to walk into this calling so I can go backwards. Well, you better take a look at Philippians 2 because Jesus descended into greatness. And I'll tell you what, he was the most powerful person in the room. And if he descended into greatness, guess what that means for us? He was teaching about identity as a Christian. To be great, to be powerful means to serve. Such an upside-down kingdom. And now we get to the foot washing place. The Jewish people wouldn't even have their Jewish slaves wash dirty, stinky feet. Had to be a Gentile slave to do that. And you know, I didn't see the disciples volunteering to do it. They knew that the feet had to be washed. They had come from Bethany. They knew their feet were dirty and somebody had to wash the feet. There was no slave there to do it. Because they were so busy worrying about who's going to be on the left and the right and who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom and they, they weren't saying, hey, Jesus, pick me. I'll wash all the dirty feet in town, in the room tonight. But here we are, the most powerful person in the room. He gets up in the middle of the meal, takes off his outer clothing, wraps himself in a towel, picks up a basin, begins to wash nasty, dirty feet. Is it really possible for Jesus to sit in the highest position at the right hand of the Father and also take the lowliest of positions to wash feet. What do you do? What do we do when we're the most powerful people in the room? Are we looking for the head table? Are we trying to find an angle to get our seat exactly? What do we do? And if foot washing wasn't bad enough, death on a cross was reserved for criminals who couldn't even belong to society. The, humil the humiliation of Jesus went from low to the lowest, from servant to death as a criminal. And all of this, why? Because he loved Even though he did, in fact, have the authority and the power, he did indeed have it. He emptied himself. And then he goes on to tell us when this foot washing ceremony is over, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. That's what 
was talking about yesterday that we form this in our mind and we take some, some action. We don't wait to do the serving or to be served when we're the most powerful person in the room. We get up and do the serving. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Well, we know the rest of the story. When Judas gets up, he goes off to do his dreadful work. And then Jesus gives us a new commandment. I mean, Jesus, you're going to find something new here? You're going to take the Ten Commandments and do something new? That gets my attention. He's elevating love to a new standard. He's telling us to love as I have loved you. And how did he love us? By laying down his life. You know, bring this to a close. When I saw the men, some of the people, whew, in Ukraine, saying, we're going to stand. We're not leaving. The love they have for their country. What more? is Jesus calling us to. That this world will know that we're disciples by the way we love each other. You know, it's easy. I think it's fairly easy to go downtown and feed the homeless. You know, we do that every now and then. I'm not sure that's the season we're in. Certainly, we want to do that and, and serve the marginalized, but I want us to think about how we serve each other. How about how we serve each other just here at the seminary? How we treat each other, how we embrace each other, how we welcome our, do we have a pecking order? Hmm. You know, if you get to be a VP, are, are you better? Well, I'll tell you what I think the call here, the clarion call here is if that's where you sit, you serve more. They won't know us by our titles and how well we preach and our degrees, and we're an academic institution. Nothing is wrong with those things. But what Jesus is telling us, they'll know us by our love. Not how many followers you have on social media and Twitter and TikTok and Facebook, but how the world looks at us when they peek in on us and what they see. We do have power, and we do have authority in servanthood. In fact, we do. And that power and authority is to love and serve. Our identity is in the model and example of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do when he was the most powerful person in the room? He loved and served others. And may we be found doing the same. Amen.